Welcome to the Complete Leader Podcast, giving leaders the tools and information they need to grow and change their worlds. Now here's your host, Dale Dixon. It's all about teamwork. On this edition of the Complete Leader Podcast, everything you need to become a high-performing leader. I'm your host, Dale Dixon. Each week, we dive into The Complete Leader. Hopefully, you have the book, and this podcast serves as a little added extra bonus as you read through. Today, we're focusing on one of the 25 core competencies detailed in The Complete Leader, and it's teamwork. We turn to Whit Mitchell. He drives business leaders and executive teams to produce tangible, measurable results, a strategic partner to organizations. Whit draws on his expertise as an executive coach, facilitator, and team builder to help businesses zero in on the key issues creating or blocking their success. Whit is also the author of Working in Sync. Whit, great to be with you again. Wonderful to talk to you this morning, Dale. So uh, with our focus on teamwork, tell us a story to set the stage on where you have seen teamwork or maybe lack of, but where you've seen teamwork play out, how it impacted you. So Dale, let me just share with you, I'm 62 years old and my life that I have lived as a uh, an executive coach began on the shores of the Thames River in New London, Connecticut in 1962. I was born in 54, pretty young child. So I was eight years old. My grandmother and grandfather invited my parents and myself to the shores of the Thames to watch the Yale-Harvard crew race. The Yale-Harvard crew race is the oldest intercollegiate event in the country. It's older than football by seven years. And back in 1852, the first Yale-Harvard crew race was actually in my fine state of New Hampshire on Lake Winnipesaukee. But if you can imagine, Dale, that day, we pull into a very high bluff cliff overlooking the finish line of the Yale-Harvard crew race. And at that point in 62, you remember the antennas uh, of the cars and people had Yale or Harvard banners and there was uh, tailgating. And my grandfather, we got out of the car and he took me to the shore and we looked way down the river, three miles down. And there's a bridge that goes between Groton, Connecticut and New London, Connecticut. And under that bridge, I saw a flotilla of boats, sailboats, motorboats, and very Faintly, I could see these two boats, or actually I couldn't really see the boats, but I could see the colors of crimson and blue lining up side by side. And my grandfather said, these boats will row all the way from that bridge up, which as a little kid seemed like it was going to take all day. So the race started promptly at 6 o'clock p.m., and Dale, along the side of the river, they had a train, and they would put bleachers on the train, and the train would follow the race all the way up. And there was a commentator in the, on the train that would give you the spaces between how, who was winning and who was losing, and it was wonderful. I didn't really know what I was about to see, but the commentator uh, on the radio, so we were sitting by the car, could hear how things were going. Harvard was ahead by a seat. Yale was ahead by a seat. Harvard was up by two seats. Back and forth, this battle went. And they got to the finish line, and right at the end, Yale splurged ahead. And I think they won by 1.8 seconds or two seconds. It was one of and still is one of the closest three-mile races they've ever had because the race lasts about 24 minutes. But, Dale, what happened next changed my life, and at eight years old, I didn't really understand it. 
But the, what happens at the end of a crew race is the two boats, and they're 62 feet long and the oars are 12 feet long, they pull the two boats side by side together and the losers take their shirts off and they hand them across to the same guy in the other boat, shake his hand, and then they row back to the boathouse bare-chested, which Harvard had to do that day, and Yale rowed back to their boathouse with the shirts in their laps. And I think what I didn't get, but every time I look back on it, the humility, the courage, the teamwork, the hard work that was performed that day really set the stage for me to become interested in this sport. And I went on to high school and picked my high school. It was a small boys prep school in Connecticut. I picked it because it had rowing. So I rowed for four years in high school. I ended up coaching rowing at the University of New Hampshire, the U.S. Coast Guard Academy and Dartmouth College. So when I think of teamwork, we can look at baseball, you can look at basketball, hockey, football. They all have teamwork. They're all in different positions. Uh, but the epitome, and if you look at posters, the epitome for me of teamwork is watching a crew of eight men and one coxswain steering away up a river with everybody, quote, working in sync, which, believe it or not, is the name of my company. So I think crew really steered me in the direction that I've been in for all these years since uh, I was eight years old. And you can see the teamwork in action. So based on The Complete Leader, teamwork is a group of individuals working together to achieve a common objective. It's also the essence of leadership in accomplishing those worthy goals through the combined efforts of others, realizing that everyone's goal is to serve the mission and the customer's not the boss. So help us uh, through this process and how you see, uh, how do we learn teamwork? Well, I'm so happy you asked this question the week before the Super Bowl, because as you can see, my New England Patriots are headed back for the ninth time. Nobody's done that before. They've won four. But Dale, you may want to remember going back to the first Super Bowl, if you've watched it, that the Patriots won. And I'm going to pause you right there and just to let, you, let let listeners know that, yeah, we record these uh, episodes quite a, lo- quite a while before they actually uh, are, are broadcast, are, are loaded up uh, and available for the public. So we're going to hope for your sake that the Patriots win. Uh, but by the time this hits uh, hits the ears of everybody out there, uh, that game's going to be long gone. So that's that's why we're Fair that's enough. why we're talking like that. Fair enough. Thanks, so continue Dale. on well, with the Super I, the, Bowl analogy. The point that I wanted the point that I wanted to make is that in previous Super Bowls they had announced each player one by one by one by one. That particular Super Bowl was the first one that they'd announced. The, the Patriots said, please announce us as the, as the New England Patriots, not one by one by one. They have stayed with that desire to be introduced as a team and not as individuals. It's the ultimate in teamwork. And if you watch these guys play, they're phenomenal. So that's probably a, an event that stays with me and has stayed with me for years. But how do we get started with teamwork? If you have a team and you're in a business... And the team is maybe not working quite like the Patriots have been working. You've got some people that are kind of working on their own or not wanting to be part of the team or there's a couple of disruptive people. You really need the first thing you need to do is to assess the team. So there are some ways to do that. We as coaches can come in and give a survey where people assess the team, the leader. There are questions focused on 
results on how people communicate, on how meetings are run, and it gives you some very clear areas of definition of what's working well, what is working sort of well, and what isn't working well at all. So once you get an assessment, just like a doctor would do if you were going in and there was an injury, the doctor would ask you lots of questions and write down what you gave him or her as far as what's not working. So dive so in and, and give us some specifics about what an assessment would look like. Because I people hear well, assessment couple, and they think of a number of different things. Yeah, good. Thank you, Dale. So it could be a couple of different things. It could be an online questionnaire where there may be 30 questions in four different sections. Uh, it could be interviews. I like to go in and interview each member of the team because then I'm able to ask questions. So either a written or a live interview are ways to help understand the development stages of a team. And what I'd like to do is just work into the developmental stages of each team and what they go through. What are some questions that you would ask in the assessment phase? Uh, I might ask a question, what's really working well on this team? And people are surprised by that question. They can't wait to tell me what's not working well. So they tell me, first of all, uh, you know, well, here are a couple things that are working well. And the next question might be, so what's the impact on the team and on you when the team does this well? Well, the impact on me is that we get better results. We're working better together. So I would stay with that for a little while because, Dale, the questions you ask people create a new mindset. So I like to ask inquiring questions that are more positive in nature to start off with. And I also want to find out where the cancer is, where the pain is. So I might say, okay, so if you could look at one or two key areas of growth for this team over the next year and listen to my words, growth, not what's not working, what areas might you focus in on or what areas might I help this team focus in on or what areas should the leader focus in on? Another area that you might want to ask about is leadership. So what's working well between the team and the leader? Where do you see the leader performing at a high level? What's uh, the impact on leadership on this team? And then, of course, you ask some of the opposite questions. So asking those questions verbally is wonderful. And in the assessment phase, there are ratings like one to six. So tell me how meetings are running on a scale of one to six. So you get numbers that you can then reassess the team nine to 12 months later. And at the end of that numerical assessment, you can also ask some open-ended questions and I find that when people write down the answers to the open-ended questions at the end of the numerical assessment, boy, you see some wonderful common themes that you can focus in on. The next step is then to meet with the team and share with them the anonymous data and the common themes. And usually there's quite a bit of quiet as people listen and realize, wow, I'm not the only person that thinks that things are doing well in this area and not so well here. Is that helpful, Dale? Absolutely. I'm wondering if a manager or a leader of an organization, someone who is well-known to the group, walks in and starts asking these questions on the individual level, uh, there needs to be some relational capital in place in order for people to be honest and transparent as they answer these questions. Good for you. I would not encourage the leader to ask these questions. <laughs> I would encourage the leader to talk to me or somebody else or HR to ask these questions. So get get an outsider. Just, yeah, get an outsider just for the same reason that people, you want people to be open and honest. And even in the most trusting of environments, sometimes people have some extra 
words of wisdom for the leader that they wouldn't share directly with a leader because the leader's the one that signs their check. So even in the safest of environments, uh, find somebody from the outside to come in and ask the questions. And then you can coach the leader and help the leader to help the team get better at whatever it is that you're focused in on. Okay. One of the aspects of the complete leader is practicing good behavior. What is What does that look like and how do you encourage that in the team? There's another assessment or instrument or whatever we want to call it that has been very helpful recently in, in the work that many of us are doing in organizations, and it's called a DISC, D-I-S-C. takes about 10 minutes, Dale, and it's all behavior-related. It's not a, quote, personality test, but it's very behavior-related. So the leader, and this is what I do a lot of, the leader takes this and also asks their executive team or direct reports to take this as well. And I have a wonderful way of helping people understand, first, their own behaviors. So let's start with self-awareness. Secondly, recognize the behaviors of the others on the team. And then number three, learn to adapt at different times to the people that are a little different in their behavioral template on the team. This has been very helpful. So it's 25 pages of content. There are some graphs. So that's one way to look at behaviors. What are what are three specific things for our listener to walk into the office to start doing immediately to improve teamwork and, and improve the relationship with their team to really get things done? Yeah. So, Dale, first off, I always like to ask the leader, so a year from now, where do you want to be? Where do you want the team to be? I want to, as Covey would say, begin with the end in mind. From there, you can start to prioritize. So based on what you say, the top three outcomes you'd like over the next year, prioritize the rest of what you're going to ask the team to do based on that vision, those outcomes, those objectives. So some of it may be as a priority, we may need to work a little more effectively together. There's a lack of communication. There's a lack of teamwork. There's some disruption on the team or dysfunction. So based on your outcomes, prioritize the next steps. Then communicate, once you've decided what the priorities are and what the next steps are, communicate, communicate, communicate. Communicate on a monthly basis, communicate on a quarterly basis, so that people are clear about what your expectations are. It's so often that I work with people and I say, are you absolutely crystal clear what the expectations are from your boss? Oh, yeah. So then I ask the boss and I ask the lead, the uh, direct report, and they're different. So you've got to communicate clearly, and then you've got to put things into action. I work with a group of engineers who just love to go to meetings and talk and talk and talk, and then they don't get anything done because at the end of the meeting, nobody's saying, so what are we going to do today and in a week from now, let's report back. Most companies are pretty good at this. But don't have meetings just to have meetings. Let's put some action steps in place. So those would be three. Prioritize, communicate, take action. Fantastic. Great things to uh, challenge us with today. Whit Mitchell, the company working in sync, the book working in sync encourage you to pick that book up and learn more about teamwork and coaching and wit thank you so much for your time today on the complete leader podcast all the best dale the complete leader podcast everything you need to become a high performing leader thanks for listening to the complete leader podcast find more online thecompleteleader.org